It's time for us to go ahead and get started tonight, so thankful you're here with us. Glad that you're able to be out on this Wednesday night. Uh, I don't have any new announcements other than what we have on our updates, so I encourage you, if you're, if you're not getting our text messages or updates, please be sure to see me, and I'll make sure that you get added back to the list. I know some have gotten bumped off for one reason or another, but uh, we have several who are on a sick list, and uh, they're listed in this week's update. Our opening prayer tonight will be led by Brother Luke Bray, and our opening song and our invitation song will be led by Brother Ed Griffith. And so we'll ask Luke, if he will, to go ahead and start us off with a prayer, and then uh, following that, we'll have our song, and then we'll do our devotional. Brother Luke. Alan. Heavenly Father, thank you for letting us come here tonight to learn more about your word and let us take the lesson night that we learn and apply it to our everyday lives and help all those that are sick and shut in and lost their loved ones. And thank you so much for all you do for us and thank you especially for your son who you sent to die on the cross for us. And it's in his holy and precious name we pray. Amen. I guess I better take the mask off for this. One verse only. Wonderful story. Something happened to me yesterday morning that almost blew my mind. I'd never had it happen before. I went through the drive-thru at McDonald's. Now, it's not that I haven't been through the drive-thru at McDonald's. But I went through the drive-thru, made my order, and went up to that first window, you know, and paid for my meal. And as the lady was handing back my card, my debit card that I had paid with, she also handed me a sheet of paper. This, this is it. They were passing those out. It says, now hiring. And she looked at me and she said, if you know anybody that will work, please send them our way. I thought about that, you know. I, I know over the past several weeks I've had conversations with other business owners who simply can't find people who are willing to work. Now, I think I know why that is. I think there's some things that are going on in our nation that's causing that. But I also read, as I was preparing for the devotional tonight, an article from the Chicago Tribune. And during the month of March of this year, the National Federation of Independent Business did a survey of their own members, and they said 42% of their own members have jobs that they cannot fill. Those businesses have jobs that they cannot fill. And everywhere you go, in Jasper or anywhere else, they're looking for people to work. In the same article, they said, uh, interviewed a, a man about uh, the company that he worked for, and he said that out of 10 to 15 respondents who would apply for uh, a job, only one of them would show up for the actual interview. And so, you know, there's a lot that's going on. Now, why do I say all of that? It's not to talk about the employment problem, finding people to work. But what I began to think about is that for two millennia, God has been having out his help wanted sign. God has been asking for help. God has been looking for workers. And so like many business to, uh, businesses today, he's having a hard time getting enough workers in his kingdom. Remember what Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. The Bible says, Then he said to his disciples, 
The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, it's not that God doesn't have uh, good benefits in his job. Sometimes it may be that, that people are looking for a better job than the one that they might get at a restaurant or something like that. But God has good benefits, and I couldn't help but think about uh, uh, one of these little plaque things that one of the elderly ladies at Atwood did for me one time. She took the yarn, I guess that's what it was, and then it, they used to do these little plastic, uh, look like a, a grid thing, you know, and, and you sewed through all of that. Well, the saying that she put on there was this. She said, Preaching doesn't pay much, but the retirement is out of this world. And in reality, you know, that's what we think about. Any of us who work for God, not just preachers, but every single Christian, we have a retirement plan with God that will be eternal. And so, what is the point that we're seeking to make? Well, I know that you're like me, seeing all of these help-wanted signs or now hiring signs and things like that. But I hope that from this point forward, every time you see one of those signs, no matter where you are, no matter what kind of uh, job it is, I hope that every time you see one of those signs, you're thinking about how God needs workers in His vineyard. And you're motivated even more, not saying that we're not motivated, but we're motivated even more to be good and hard workers in the kingdom of the Lord. It may be tonight that you're not a Christian. You, in order to be a worker in his vineyard, you have to be a Christian. And so we would encourage you to put your Lord on in baptism. If you're here and you've already done that, but something is standing between you and God that you need to make right in a public way, uh, then why don't you come right now as together we stand and sing. Jesus is tenderly calling me home, calling today, calling today. Why from the sunshine of love will I roam, farther and farther away? Calling today, calling today. Before we get started tonight, for all you folks that have asked about Brian, I appreciate it. He's doing fine. He's tougher than I am. and He's doing great. So, continuing in our study of why people are suffering, we know that a lot of folks are suffering from the pandemic now and all of these other sufferings that we see in life. And we need to know why, and unfortunately, being human beings, we ask the question innately, why am I suffering? And, we get, and if we let, allow that to go, that thinking to go too far, we ultimately wind up blaming God. And, we, uh, you know, we've got enough folks that's telling us it's God's fault anyway. So. so we really need to know, why are we suffering? Why do we face these afflictions of life? Now, these, let's give credit where credit's due. These lessons are coming from Dr. Miller's book. Fine little book, Why People Suffer, and you can find it 
on the on Apologetic Press's website and order it if you like. So, with that said, in his book, at the first of it, Dr. Miller states, human beings have suffered an unfathomable amount of suffering throughout the history of the world. And we went through some process of trying to show a good deal of that over the past five centuries. And we know we are. I mean, we know we suffer today. We see it. So, if suffering is an undeniable part of life, why? Why are we suffering? And that's, that's what we're trying to find out right now in these parts of the lessons. So, why? What we've covered so far is this. Is that our suffering that we suffer is common to man. We're not the only ones that suffered. The whole world has suffered for the past, well, for the history of mankind. And that helps a little bit. But it gives us a, a base to try to build upon when we look at the other things that leads up to the suffering. Why we suffer. The next thing we talked about was life's temporary. It's short. And we know that. We see it. But we need to understand that immediately after death comes the judgment. There is nothing we can do between death and judgment to do anything about eternity if we think we need to. We only have one shot at getting this life right. And that's before, that's before we encounter death. We also talked about that this life produces challenges for us. All these sicknesses and bad weather and man's inhuman, inhumanity to man, all these things that hurts us. We've been given the challenge in this life to experience those things and to handle them. Well, the other thing we talked about this is, is that God gave us a freedom to choose as we wish. Freedom of choice or free moral agency, however you want to say it. And he gave us this world that we're living in as an environment that would allow this for us. It presents these challenges to us. The world he created presents us with the challenges or the sufferings that we need to experience so that we can make some choices that will allow us to live with God later. And he gave us this ideal environment to do it in. Now, he did all of that because he loved us so much. Just think, if you didn't have the right to choose, make the choice you wanted, how much worse would this life be? What if we didn't have that choice? We're just robots. That we did whatever we were programmed to do. So, all of that says this, is that while we're in this life, that we're in a proving ground, or we're proving ourselves that we can condition ourselves such that God would want to live with us. In other words, we're in a probationary period now where we're making choices as to whether or not we're going to fix ourselves so that we can, so that God will associate with us. Okay? And then the next thing we talked about was that this period of life is a soul shaping. Period. And that's what we're looking at now. So let's look at this, continue looking at this soul shaping period. See, these sufferings are all necessary. To us shaping ourselves so that God would want to live with us. So think about this. 
And this is where we left off last week. What makes us more aware that life is temporary and uncertain than the sufferings from these natural disasters and man's humanity and from pandemics and that sort of thing? What makes us think more about this short life than suffering? When do you think about life ending being so short more than you do when you're suffering some of these things that life throws at us? And then it isn't that. What makes us more aware that we need something more than ourselves than when we suffer? When are we more aware that we need God's help than when we suffer? So keep that in mind. Now, before we go any further, I want to take a little detour here and look at this one thing. Let's look at the road to suffering. What is the road to to suffer. But when you look at the scriptures, the road starts out with a temptation. When that temptation comes to us, it's one of those times that we've got to make one of those free moral agency decisions. It's one of those times that we have the right to choose how we will react to that temptation. And we make a choice. And if we make a bad choice, then that bad choice leads to our suffering. So the road to suffering goes from temptation to bad choice to suffering. Now I'll say all of that so that we can look at what we're fixing to look at. Genesis 2 and 6. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was delight of the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. That's her temptation. And now that she's been tempted, she's got to make a choice. She's got to make a choice as to whether she is going to remember what God told her to do or she's got to make the choice of whether she listens to Satan. Now granted, Satan's putting a lot of pressure on her. He's shown her some things that's really piqued her interest. He showed her how good this fruit looked. He showed her how good it should taste. And then he convinced her if she did, she'd be wise. So Satan put some temptations out there in front of her. And when he did, she was forced, life forced her to make a decision. Now we all know the decision she made. She took out of it and she ate. Not only did she do that, but she gave it to Adam. And he did too. She was tempted. She made a bad choice. Then what happened? Remember this background? See, Eve is now at this forks in the road. When Satan tempted her, she is at that forks in the road, whether she's got to make a decision to either go this way or go that way. That's the only thing she can do. She can't back up. There is not another road to take. So she's got to make a decision. And she was free to make that choice. Now how much did God love her? He didn't want her to make that choice. But you know what? He loved her enough that he gave her the right 
to make that choice for herself. Even though he knew there was a chance that he would lose her as one of his, he loved her enough that he gave her that choice. She had the right and the liberty to make that choice. She made it. Then what happened? Move on down, and it's talking about Adam. What happened to Adam? Talks about multiplying your pain. Pain, desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Return to the ground, death. What happened? On this road to her suffering, what happened? She was tempted. She made a bad decision, a freely made bad decision. And once she did, she suffered. That's the road to suffering. Now, there's two more things that we need to we need to bring up about suffering. And that's the reason I went into this, what, we, what, I, what I just did. Two more things we need to know about our suffering. One is, is that our suffering are all common to men. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but we need to bring it back up sometimes. Whatever we're suffering, somebody else has probably suffered the same thing. Everybody suffers, not just me. Remember our road up here to suffering? Look at 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. It says, no temptation. And what does temptation lead to? It leads to suffering if we make a bad decision. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. So Paul's telling the church at Corinth here, whatever you folks are suffering, the whole world suffers. All mankind suffers. So it's not just you. Second thing we need to look at it is that no choice or no suffering is too difficult. We can handle it. Again, 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. No temptation is overtaking you that's not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Is suffering common to man? Yes. Did God love man? Yes, he did. First off, he loved him enough to allow him to suffer. Second off, he allowed him, he loved him enough that he would make sure that he was not tempted beyond what he could handle. Or he wouldn't he wouldn't suffer beyond what he could handle. He loved him enough that even though he was going that he is letting him suffer, he's not going to let him suffer more than what he can endure. We need to know that about our suffering. If it's part of life, we need as Christians we need to understand that. That we're not going to suffer beyond what we can and endure, and we're not going to be tempted any further than what we can endure. Yes, we suffer. 
Life is short. Life has its challenges. Death is coming. There are problems before death. But God says, if you're one of His, then He won't let it go too far. He will not force you or allow you to be tempted or suffer beyond what you're able to endure. Now, with all that said, sufferings are common to man. Everybody suffers. But with God, we can endure. Now, of course, that's he's talking about his people now. He's not talking about everybody. He's talking about his people. We suffer. We've spent four weeks now talking about it. We can't get away from that suffering. But we ought to look at that suffering as a blessing that allows us to come back to God. Now, let's look at an example. What are we talking about? You know, there was one man as wiser than anybody else that's ever lived, and that was Solomon. Wisest man that ever lived, and we're going to look at that the very last thing on Solomon. But let's look at his life before he summed it all up. You know, Solomon during his life, he devoted himself to great feats, labor and toil and hard work. What are we talking about? We're talking about building the temple. We talk about these gardens and orchards and vineyards that he built, the fleets of ships. And we could go on and list these things that are listed in First Kings. But Solomon, at some point in his life, that's what he desired to do. That's what he chose to do with his life is do these great projects, these great things, build these great monuments to himself. Something else that he did, he acquired great wealth and possessions. 1 Kings 10 and 23 says, Thus King Solomon excelled all kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. So Solomon was richer than any other kings in the world. See, at one point in his life, his life's aims was to be as rich as he possibly could. He got to the point where he was wielding one of the greatest militaries around at that time, maybe the greatest. So he, here's another thing that he did, he wanted to do that he that he chose to do was be a strong military leader. He secured significant political power, fame, and honor. See, he had other kings that were paying tribute to him, paying service to him giving him money, giving him gold and jewels and things. And that's one of the things he chose to do with his life was, is to be a strong political power. He also had some other things he wanted to do too. He had unprecedented access to fleshly and sexual pleasure. She had 700 wives and princes, princesses and 300 concubines. That's what he chose to do. That's what he wanted. And being the rich, powerful man that he was, he could. He had access to it. He had the power to gain it. And pleasure and physical stimulation. See, he had the power and the assets 
to do whatever he wanted to do. Ecclesiastes 2 and 10 says this, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep them from me. Whatever he wanted, he could get. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and in this was my reward for all my toil. All these great feats that he done, all these uh, massive riches that he acquired, he used them to gain the pleasures that he wanted. And that's what he chose in life. So he even went down that avenue that so many do today, tried to find his find the way to the fountain of youth. And again, he used all of his assets, all of his power to try to do that. Solomon was able to do what every person on this earth has wanted to do at one point in his life. Whether it's power, whether it's riches, whether it's pleasure, whatever it is, he had the assets and the power to do it. And he tried. Now look at this one. He acquired knowledge, superintelligence, and wisdom and insight. Hey, he was an author, a poet, a composer, a lyricist, a botanist, a zoologist. Hey, we could list more from what the record has given. He excelled in everything that he did. And he tried everything. But here's the, one of the big things I want you to notice about Solomon. Solomon was wiser than all other men. Solomon had more wisdom than any individual that's lived on the face of the earth. Look at 1 Kings 10, 23-24. Thus Solomon excelled all of the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. We mentioned the riches earlier. But now, he was wiser than any other leader. Verse 24, And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom. Wise old man, wasn't he? But look at the last phrase here. Which God had put into his hand. God made Solomon the wisest man that ever lived. Now, whether that's miraculous wisdom or natural wisdom, we don't know. We just know this. God made Solomon the wisest man to ever live. And he showed that for all of the things that he accomplished in his life. There was nothing he didn't accomplish. Why? Because he was so wise. Now remember Solomon and God wasn't on good terms for a long time in his life. But God made him the wisest man in the world. Why am I harping on that? Well, let's look. No man before or since has succeeded in life ventures more than Solomon. Because he was wise. And here's Solomon's assessment, paraphrased. He said, I've had it all. I've seen it all. I've done it all. Everything I wanted, I had. Everything I saw, I saw it. Everything I wanted to do, I did it. I have immersed myself in all the pleasures of pursuit that earthly life has to offer. I've done everything. Now, of course, this is paraphrasing right now. I've done everything, Solomon said. Then look what he had to say. He said, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, that's Solomon. All is vanity. All this stuff, all these feats that I accomplished in life, they were all vain. They didn't amount to anything. 
They didn't accomplish anything. They were all vain. Now, here's a question we've got to ask ourselves. What were the vanities in Solomon's life? What was he referring to? It's all these things he did. All these things that he pursued in life. The great construction projects. The the great knowledge that he acquired. The great wealth that he acquired. The power that he got. The pleasures he got. These are all vain. The wisest man on earth, before and after, summed his life up this way. All these things I have pursued in life are vain. Now here's a question. Did Solomon say his life was vanity? I've heard this said. I've heard somebody say this. Is Solomon saying that my life on earth was vain? Well, no, a thousand times no. That's not what he said. He said all of these things that I pursued were vain. Well, why? He said, and watch this now, he said his life under the sun was vanity. Well, Solomon, what do you mean when you said my life under the sun? The sun. When you go back and you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, there are 26 times, now imagine, 26 times in that small book that Solomon used the phrase, under the sun. Well, what does that mean? It means apart from God. What does that mean? It means that his life and his choices without the sun, S-O-N. All those things, all those feats were vain because they were without the sun. They were apart from God. They were under the sun. S-U-N. So all those things, all those great and wonderful things that he did, He did them apart from God. He did them apart from the sun, S-O-N. He did them under the sun, S-U-N, in this world. What does that say to us? Let's go back. I'm going in the wrong direction, folks. Come on. Woo. I'm going to get there. I'm, this is important. I don't want to lose this. Where am I missing it? Well, I went all the way, didn't I? All right. What was so important that Solomon was trying to say in in those verses? All is vanity. All of it's vanity. All of it was under the sun. None of it was under under this S-O-N. It, not a, all of it was apart from God. So what he's saying is this. All these feats that I did, they were vain because they were under the sun. They were apart from God. And they were vain because of it. And when he says apart under the sun, he means not under 
the S-O-N. Now that's Solomon's assessment. Wisest man that ever lived, man that had done every, everything that man could think to do, and he says all of these things are vain. They're all under the S-U-N. Thank you, Larry. Because see up here, I've seen everything that is doing under the sun and all that's vanity. Done everything that was under the sun. All of it was vanity. See, there's, there's, there it is condensed into one or two little phrases. Everything that was done under the sun, behold, all was vanity. Everything I did apart from God. So notice, the wisest man on earth didn't say that life is vanity. He said that everything I did that was not part of God's will, that was vain. That's the wisest man that ever lived. And he made that statement. So it's everything that was done under the sun, not everything in life. See, all the choices that we make under the sun, apart from God, without the sun, S-O-N, that's vain. It's vanity. So these choices that I have that God's given me the right to make, if they're not under the S-O-N, then my life is vain. If they're just under the S-U-N, apart from God, my life's vain. But if they're under the S-O-N, then they're not vanity. They're worth, they are worthwhile. They prepare me. And really what he was saying is they prepare me for a life with God. Now look at this conclusion that he makes. He says the end of the matter. What's the matter? What's he talking about here? It's his life. It's the probationary period that he lived. It's the proving ground that he walked on. And it's the soul-shaping period in his life. That's what it says. The end of all of that. In other words, the end of Solomon's life. But what's happened? All has been heard. What's been heard? It's all the feats that Solomon chose to do in his life. It's all the choices that he made in his life, whether they're good or bad. The end of the matter, it all has been heard. Fear God. What does it mean, fear God? Make good free will choices. Make your choices freely according to God's will. That's keeping His commandments. Well, look a little further down this verse 14. For God will bring the whole duty of man. What is the whole duty of man? It's making choices freely for God, for what He asked, what He has said to. A little further in this thing. Every secret thing, wow. Every secret, everything, secret thing. When the judgment comes, remember there's death and then there's judgment. Everything, every choice that I make will be brought up during the judgment. See, that's the wisest man that ever lived on the face of the earth. That's his assessment. What's the end of the matter? What's the conclusion of life? It's making good choices. That's what 
That's the reason for life. Is a chance to make good choices. Good choices that will make us so that God would want to and be willing to live with us. So, if we want to make sense of all of the suffering that we see in the world and we feel in the world, then we have got to live our life under the S-O-N. Not the S-U-N. See, we got to live and make our choices that are wise. If we live under the sun, S-O-N, we're making wise choices. If we're living our life under the S-U-N, like Solomon did for a big part of his life, we're making unwise choices. How did he live his life under the sun? By making these unwise choices. Putting everything on of himself first. Well, let's look at this thing logically just a minute. If we were to live forever, don't die. We just live forever. And if we had no suffering, and if life was only a pleasure, now think about that just a minute. Why would we need to associate ourselves with God? We got everything. We don't need God. If life is forever and no suffering and everything's pleasure, why do we need God? We have no problems. We have no, there is nothing that we need that we don't get. Make a little more. Let's wait a minute now. Wasn't that the way Adam's first world was? When Adam was living in Eden, wasn't he living forever? Wasn't everything pleasure? Wasn't it the case there was no suffering? Wasn't that what it was? No death, no suffering, no pleasure. Uh oh. Wait a minute. Adam had it that way. He and Eve both had it that way. But they both made a bad free will choice. And what happened to them? God sent us him and her to pain and suffering and death. While they were in Eden, no pain, no suffering, no death. Made a bad choice, and God sent us them with pain and suffering and death. Do some more thinking. Only after his bad choice, his and Eve's bad choice, free will choice at that. Did he have a need to associate himself with God and God's forgiveness? You ever think about that? Adam didn't need God and his help and forgiveness ultimately until after he made a bad choice. Until after he was suffering. Now, we need to ask ourselves this question, and we can carry this at home with us. What did God add to Adam after he lived in Eden, Eden that prompted him to remember that he needed God and his forgiveness? What did Adam and Eve have before they made their bad choice and while they were suffering, that they did not have before. 
death and pain and suffering. Why did God give them death and pain and suffering? Remember back now the sequence. Let's not forget this sequence. This road to suffering. Temptation, bad choice, suffering. Adam and Eve only had a need for God after Eden because they had pain and suffering and death. You see, now logically looking at it, we've been provided with two blessings, an ideal environment and pleasures of pleasures and calamities, and we talked about that. This world we live in is ideal for us because there is pleasures and because there are calamities in it. Because these calamities give us the opportunity to remember that we need God. And give us the opportunity to make us or prompt us to want to be so that God is willing to associate with us. And we have this free will choice to accept it or reject it in our lives. So he's given us these blessings. These are blessings. I mean, suffering is blessings. I think we'll probably stop here. Yeah. Well, no, let's just do it. So all of this soul-shaping stuff, all of these calamities and that we sufferings that we face, when we get a healthy dose of these, it reminds us we need God. It teaches us that life is temporary. And it prompts us to have better free will choices. And it helps us to yearn for a better life. All of which says, why do people suffer? Because it reminds us we need God. Because it teaches us life is temporary. And it prompts us to make better choices. And it helps us to want a better life. That's why we suffer. We ask the question, why am I suffering? Because God wants to remind me that I need Him. Won't remind me that life is temporary so that I'll make better free will choices and want me to have a better life. That's what the Scriptures teach as to why we suffer. So, very quickly, this is last one. We've just examined the whys of suffering in the world. Now next, we're going to look at the causes of the suffering. If you would bow with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and for this life and for all of the experiences that we have. Pray that you be with us in this life and that we might make good choices and that we might prepare ourselves so that we'll be able to associate with you be with us throughout this night and throughout the rest of life, and we ask these blessings in Christ's name. Amen.